I was in university at UBC when I first heard about Bitcoin. My friend Nathan had been learning about Bitcoin. He felt like it could revolutionize finances worldwide. He was considering investing in them. We were talking together, and he was pretty sure he was going to invest and was hoping that he could cash big on it. Now, just to be clear, this story, there's no financial advice in this. <laughs> just a, a story from my past. For me, I wasn't as convinced. Felt a little gimmicky and extremely risky. And to be honest, I was in university, so I didn't have any disposable income to be investing in anyways. So my friend decided to invest in Bitcoin, and I did not. A couple years later, or actually just a couple years ago, my friend and I were meeting together in Portland. And we were catching up together, and he was talking about his marriage. He got married uh, to a woman while he was teaching in South Korea. And he said that he had been able, during his wedding, to pay for it with all the money that he had. I was surprised because he worked as an ESL teacher in South Korea. I didn't know it was that lucrative. He said, uh, no, he also was able to, when they moved back to Portland, to purchase a new house. And then I was really surprised. He said, oh, I, I actually paid for them out of the money that I made off of my Bitcoin investment. And immediately in that moment, I was really excited for him with a tinge of regret for myself. He was able to pay both for a wedding and a house from his Bitcoin investment. I was curious, and so I went home, not because I wanted to encourage myself, because <laughs> it didn't, but I wanted to see roughly how much he bought and sold Bitcoin for, because I kind of knew roughly the timeline. To the best of my ability, he bought Bitcoin for around $30 per coin and sold it when it was around $30,000 per coin. Don't know how many he had, but he had enough to pay both for his wedding and that house in Portland, which isn't a cheap city. It was for me a moment of looking back and seeing this incredible opportunity that I had missed out on. An opportunity that, in retrospect, if I could go back in hindsight 2020, that I would have done something differently. Have you ever, looking back, looked at an opportunity and felt like you missed it? That if you could go back in retrospect, that you would do things over again? We're in a sermon series here at 10th called Prepare Him Room, where we're looking at, through the season leading up to Christmas, how we can prepare room in our lives for Christ to come. And today we're going to look at a story from Luke 2 with the shepherds, that they were invited into this great opportunity, this great invitation, an opportunity that they didn't want to miss out on, and one that they responded and we will see that we too are invited into this same invitation that the shepherds were invited to, an opportunity that we too won't want to miss. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 2. I'll be beginning in verse 8. I'll also be jumping around a bit so you can follow along on the screen behind me. Luke 2, beginning in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. 
I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then jumping ahead to verse 17. When they had seen him, the Christ child, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And now verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you faithfully recorded this story through Luke of this great invitation given by an angel to a group of shepherds that we too could hear and see this invitation for ourselves and like the shepherds respond to this invitation that we too don't want to miss out on. So Jesus, we trust that you are speaking to us now and we long to hear from you. Amen. As we come into the passage, this is a story, as we begin, of shepherds coming at night with one another, bringing their flocks. Bringing their flocks of sheep, one for convenience and two for safety. Convenience because if you have a bunch of shepherds together with their sheep, it's much more likely and easy to take a little nap in the middle of night. Second, for safety for their sheep. Sheep could have easily been attacked by bears, wolves, or robbers. So you want to be incredibly attentive to your flock. But the more sheep and the more shepherds you have, the more safety you have, both for yourself and for your flock. It's a scene of shepherds at work. In the middle of the night, filled with peace and quiet, maybe a few sheep buying in the background. And in a moment, all of that changed. As an angel appeared before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and we're told that these shepherds were afraid. These shepherds who are used to doing battle with bears and wolves and robbers, they are afraid because of an angel. I don't know what image comes to mind when you think of an angel, but if you think of a little baby playing a harp, it's not it. That would hardly strike terror in the heart of these rugged shepherds, right? I mean, if they're used to doing battle with bears and wolves and robbers, I think flying babies aren't going to quite cut it. So we're told this is a scene of magnificence, even of terror, of fear, and of great marvel. It's also a scene of surprise, a scene that evokes numerous surprises for us. Not too long ago, my colleague Dan Matheson got to do a trip to the Holy Land with a fellow pastor, Jade, and some of you as well. He said, while they were there outside Jerusalem, they stopped at a field, which they believe could have been the same field where this story takes place, the same field where the shepherds may have gathered with all of their flocks and the angel appeared before them. At this point, their guide got out and started to speak to them. 
And he shared that his second job is as a teacher of comparative religions. And he said when he teaches the segment on Christianity, the section on Christianity, he reads this Luke 2 passage, the passage of the shepherds. Of all the passages that you could read to give a glimpse of who Jesus and his followers are, why a passage about some shepherds in a field? He said this, this is a summary of what he said to them. A part of the uniqueness of Christianity is that the great announcement of Christ's birth doesn't happen in a university to the most educated. It doesn't happen in the home of a great prince or king or even the center of political decisions. The great announcement of God's coming takes place in the most ordinary of places, to the most lowly and overlooked of places and people. It happens in a field to a group of shepherds. The beginning of the most important moment in history begins in the most ordinary place possible to an overlooked group of people. This teacher explained that with most other major religions, the great announcement and invitation to come and see God happens to the most educated, happens to these special group of elites at this special time and this special place. Yet the coming of Jesus, the moment that would shape and change history, the inaugural invitation comes in the most ordinary of places to the most lowly of people, the most overlooked of people in places that you could imagine. This invitation to come and to see. The invitation to come and to witness and to be a part, to encounter Christ, isn't just left to the special but is even left to the most ordinary of times and the most ordinary of situations. Quite some time ago, I was involved in a conversation with some people who I care a lot about. And this conversation did not go very well and led to some significant conflict. I had thought that if I could think well enough and work hard enough that I could smooth things over with them and that we could work through this together. But as we continue to have conversations and to work through this, the situation became increasingly volatile and um, the conflict increased. And I generally sleep really well. I sleep like a baby, Sabin could tell you. But for some reason, actually, well, I know exactly why this conflict, I was regularly waking up in the middle of the night with both my mind and my heart racing. I would wake up and initially realize that I was dreaming and thinking about the situation and conflict and how I was going to fix it. One day I was driving home and realized that still my mind and my heart were racing thinking about this situation. Again, people I cared about wanted to work through things well. And for some reason realized that I could not solve the situation in this moment. That I was becoming increasingly frustrated as I continued to try and resolve things and was unable And in my frustration, I decided, if I can't solve it in this moment, I'm just going to do something else. I turned on some music, and I just started to pray just a simple prayer, just to speak God's name. I started to sing through some of the lyrics. And as I did, it was like this dam of emotion broke through. This dam that I didn't know was there. 
And all of these emotions of resentment, anger, frustration that I was holding back without even knowing it in the middle of my car began to burst forth in tears and in other emotions as well. And yet, as these emotions began to break through this invisible dam, it was like something else opened up. And in that moment, that Christ came to be born in the most, for me, unexpected of places. I hadn't expected Christ to come and to be born in the middle of my frustration, my tears, my angry outburst. Yet in that moment, although nothing changed on the exterior of this situation, everything shaped and changed and shifted on the inside. As Christ came into that moment, my frustration turned to joy. My anger and resentment towards this group of people turned to compassion for what they were going through as well. And I was able to enter in and to sing. That even though nothing changed on the exterior, it was like everything changed on the inside. In a time, in a place, in a situation where I never would have expected Christ to come and be born in the middle of my frustration, my confusion, my anger and resentment, Christ was born. And in that dark place, it was like he was able to bring his light and shift things inside of me to bring hope and new life. Jesus doesn't only come, and we're not only invited through the most extraordinary of circumstances, but even in the ordinariness of our emotions, our frustrations, our angers, while we're washing dishes or watching our kids, Christ can come. Another unique part of this great invitation is something that's emphasized four times in the passage that we just read together. Four times the passage says, you, to you, you, and you. It causes us to invite who is the you of the passage. In one sense, it's definitely the shepherds, isn't it? To you, the shepherds, Christ has been born. Come and see. But the angel also says that this invitation of good news is to all people. And this all people isn't just all nations and all people 2,000 years ago, but it's an invitation that spans history and time. And perhaps the most important good news that we need to hear this Christmas is that the invitation of the angel to come and to exceed, to experience Christ for ourselves is not a historical 2,000-year-old invitation only for a bunch of shepherds or to a group of magi traveling from Babylon and Persia. But it's for you. It's to you. It's for you. And it's for me. That until we see that this invitation to come and see is personal, Christmas will remain a nostalgic hallmark card or a Christmas movie that we turn on and off or a Christmas decoration that we pull out of a box and we set up for a few days and then when we're done with Christmas, we pack away. That until you realize that the invitation to come and to see is for you, Christmas will have no power to transform your life, to evoke joy and hope and peace for you and in our world that is longing for peace to come. 
perhaps the most important invitation that we are invited to come and to receive is that this invitation to come and to see is for you. And you. And you and me. To come and see. But if we're honest, I think the idea of coming to prepare room for Christ is a little bit overwhelming in the Christmas season. It feels or it may feel like another thing that we're simply trying to add on to our already busy lives, isn't it? Christmas parties, dropping off kids off at their own Christmas school events or nutcracker ballets or even having family and friends over at home. Our lives and our schedules feel so full. Really, I have to prepare more room? I'm already preparing room in my house for more friends to come for dinner, preparing room in my schedule for all these invitations. How am I going to prepare more room? And like the shepherds, perhaps our first invitation is to leave something behind, maybe to say no or to make some adjustments in order to come and to see for ourselves. One of the ways that I'm trying to prepare room this Advent Christmas season is around digital media. Perhaps like you, I am one of the 87% of Canadians who check their phone in the last or the first hour of the day. To be honest, I was surprised it was only 87%. That probably doesn't include babies, so that would, that would skew, skew the data a bit. But I realized, especially that first hour in the morning, that when I look at my phone, that it shapes and changes the rest of the day for me and how I see and perceive things around me. And a part of the reason that I check my phone in that first hour, in fact, it's literally within the first seconds of being awake, is because on my phone is my alarm. And so when I wake up, I'm as quickly as possible trying to hit that stop button. And when I do, guess what pops up right away? Every missed text message, every email that I missed, all the calendar of events that are coming up that day that I need to think about and be strategic towards. And so within the first few seconds of the day, my mind is already set on a trajectory of all the things that I need to do and attend to within that day. And so when I try to prepare room in my life to sit down in prayer or even to read scripture, there's an, a real and obvious barrier, barrier for me to enter in with a full heart because I'm already thinking and planning about everything else that I need to do in my day. And I wanted to bring the best of my time into that moment with him in the morning, not just because I want to be present, but also because it shapes the rest of my day. And I want to be a person who's more filled with love and compassion and Christ's presence to others, rather than a busy person who's attentive to everything that I need to do. So one of the things that I'm trying to do is I'm putting my phone to bed in another room. I've bought a, a digital alarm clock that's in no way smart. <laughs> and all it does is tell me the time and have a very annoying alarm. And all I have to do is press stop, and it's done. And there's no way that I can see any of the upcoming events or things that I missed the day before. And simply with the invitation for that first hour of my day to be sacred, I didn't have to cancel all my appointments, didn't have to join a Bible study, but simply in this simple way to make a shift, to make room so that I can be more attentive in my life with my emotions, with my mind and my heart 
both to God and to the people around me. The shepherds leave something valuable behind. We don't know how many of them left their flocks to go to visit the Christ child, but we think at least most of them do. Maybe a few stayed behind just to keep track over all the sheep. But at least most of the sheep go. They leave something significant behind. The sheep were their RSP plans. They were their salaries. They were incredibly valuable, but they were willing to leave those behind to respond to a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go and see Christ. What could we leave behind or adjust or shift in our lives to prepare room to be more attentive to Christ's presence as we come towards Christmas? Leaving their sheep behind, we're told that these shepherds go and encounter Christ. And when they encounter Christ, we're told that two things happen. First, we read this from Luke 2.20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. We're told that they go glorifying and praising God. They worship. They're caught up in worship. And worship is the response to God's worship. It's our response to an encounter with the living God. Now, when many of you hear worship, what's the first thing that comes to mind? You can yell it out. Louder, come on. Singing, thank you. Singing. I think, at least in the church, when we hear worship, most of the time, right away, we think about singing. What Andrea and Nova and Alana and our team were leading us in. Worship through song. And that is one of the ways that we can praise God and enter into worship. I know for me, I'm extremely cognitive and can often be caught up in my head. And for me, music is one of the ways that I get out of my head. And I engage with not the problems and all the strategic things that I'm thinking about, but just enter into God's presence and worship him. And music can be one of the ways that we can worship God in this lead up to prepare room for him in our lives this Christmas season. But in the Bible, worship or music isn't actually the first definition of worship. It comes quite a bit later that the first understanding of worship is actually involves sacrifice, giving something up significant as an act of worship and glorifying of God. And for us, serving can be one of those ways that we can worship God, that we can prepare room in our lives to encounter the living God. Laura Ong is a member of our Mount Pleasant community, and she's someone who... I know is often serving with our Oasis food ministry downstairs. And so in preparation for this sermon, I was chatting with her and saying, you know, Laura, for you, what's been the the connection between serving, sacrifice, and, and worship? And here's what she said. These are Laura's words. Serving has always come naturally. So when I decided to attend 10th, I had a very specific set of skills that I thought I could bring to 10th. But somehow God put obstacles in front of me. 
Those skills were my frankincense, myrrh, and gold. But God wanted something more, something different. So when I started coming to 10th, I asked if I could join the Connections team, or I was, I was asked if I could join the Connections team, the team that welcomes people at the door when you come in. I was reluctant to, but the person didn't take no for an answer, and no, it wasn't Tom, she said. <laughs> and I'm so glad that he signed me up because it was easy and I got to meet and to know people here. Since then, I've served with other areas, but Oasis, which is our weekly free meal program or gathering, is where I'm committed to serving in a consistent manner. Oftentimes it's fun, but there can be challenges, but it's always rewarding if I go in with the right heart. I try to leave my ego at the door, to put on my apron and bring my expectations that God will show up every time. An act of worship to me is when I surrender my ego, my control, my expectations, and do it saying, here I am, God, take my hands, my feet, my heart, and use me. God always meets me partway and shows me his heart and his way. One of the ways that we can prepare room and encounter God is just becoming with a humble heart, with open hands. It may involve with our Oasis meal gathering. It may be making a few hours to have coffee with a friend who needs to talk. It may be making a meal for your partner changing diapers, or just being attentive and loving and responsive in a moment of need. That worship, as Laura said so well, is responding to God's worship in offering a humble heart and open hands and being willing to serve in a way that he invites us and that's meeting some of the needs of our world. Some of the ways that we can prepare room, maybe with music, It may be serving. It's an invitation for us to wonder how can we this Christmas prepare room by responding to God's worship in our own worship? How can we make room for him? Another way that we read in the passage, after the shepherds have this encounter with the Christ child, we're told that they walk away from verse 17, that when they had seen him, the Christ child, they spread the word concerning what had been told him about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But one of the things that they did is we're told that they spread the word. They responded by telling others what they had seen. William Temple is a bishop in the Church of England and a priest. And he says this, he says, the church is the only organization that does not exist for its own members. The church is the only organization that doesn't exist for its own members. That as we come to encounter Christ and experience him for ourselves, that the circle of worship is incomplete if it stays with us. It's only completed when we share it with others because it's not meant to be for us alone that not just through word, but also deed, we are invited to spread the word, to honestly share about the things that we've encountered. Now in Vancouver, it can be maybe a little taboo to talk about religion, right? Especially in parties. What are the two things you're not supposed to talk about in parties? Politics and religion, right? 
But why shouldn't we be able to talk about something that's been so impactful and meaningful to us? We do this all the time. We talk about some of the most mundane things in the world that have had an impact on our lives. Let me give you an example. For the last number of weeks and months, I've had colleagues and friends telling me about their air fryer. How many of you have an air fryer? Hands up. How many of you love your air fryer even higher? Okay, definitely. (laughs) I've had friends and colleagues telling me about their air fryer. I've had people posting on Facebook and social media about how their air fryer is changing the way they cook. I had one colleague tell me that his air fryer changed his life. (laughs) It felt very, very extravagant. And to be honest, we thought about getting an air fryer. But I hate spending money. And we also didn't want to add more clutter to the top of our kitchen. But when our oven broke very recently, um, my amazing parents who are here today bought us an air fryer as a way of filling the gap for our oven while we didn't have one. And I'll tell you, what an amazing gift. (laughs) Not only did it meet the need of us not having an oven, I'm not an air fryer salesman, okay? <laughs> Some of you who are leading your partner like, see, we should get one. Not only did it meet a really particular need for us, but it cooked the best tofu and french fries I've ever had. But if we can, with all honesty, share about how the good news of an instant or an air fryer has changed our dinner tables and our cooking patterns, if we can share about the good news of the air fryer, how much more should we be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ, who is shaping and transforming our lives, who's bringing light and love and hope into the greatest places of darkness? As we encounter Christ, it's natural to want to share and talk about that with others, not with hidden agendas or motives, but with the same joy and sharing that good news that we experience. In and of itself, the church is the only organization that does not exist for itself because the good news is incomplete if it only stays with us. If we can share the good news of the air fryer, how much more should we feel comfortable and open to talk about the good news of how Jesus is transforming and shaping and giving us hope in our lives. In verse 11, we read this. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. Today in the town of Vancouver, a savior has been born to you. Today in our 10th Church Mount Pleasant building, a savior has been born to you. Today in Richmond, North Vancouver, Deep Cove, Burnaby, Coquitlam, a savior has been born to all of you. This isn't just a historic reality, but it involves you and you and you and me. Today, a savior has been born to you and his name is Christ the Lord. An invitation that you won't wanna miss out on. I think today, if the angels came, they wouldn't just come to a group of shepherds in a shepherd's field. I think they would come to the middle of a shopping mall. 
And here's what they would say. Slow down your hurried and frenetic lives. Pay attention, for I am bringing amazing news that won't appear on your news feeds, and it won't become an Instagram story. Make room in your lives for this good news. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that this invitation that you gave to an angel to a group of shepherds in a shepherd's field was not only for them, but for all people, which includes us. That not only was Christ born in a stable 2,000 years ago, but the invitation is for him to come and to be born in the stable of our lives. For us to have a fresh encounter, whether that be for the first time or all over again in a new way. To come and to experience the good news that Christ has been born. O come, become Emmanuel, God who is with us, for us, and to us. Amen.